morning, everyone. The Mary Griffith Show is underway, and I've lost control already, as you can hear from the chatter in the back. I love it when I invite my guests on. Uh, today we have uh, Jack Freiberg and Chuck Schultz, and uh, they stop by once a month. And I always tell them, you know, I'll talk about whatever you want to talk about, but nothing is scarier than as the Mary Griffith theme show is playing, when I say, what's the topic today? And Freiberg goes, oh, I don't know. And Schultz goes, oh, I don't know. And But now we're going to come up with something. So it's going to be great. Jack Freiberg and Chuck Schultz are here. And uh, Jack, we're going to kind of let you start because Steve and I got involved in this conversation a couple of weeks ago. Main Street is not Maine as in primary, it's Maine as in the state of Maine, named in with all the other New England states. Vermont, York, Delaware. Well, hang on here, you're stealing... Oh, okay, go ahead, I was going to talk about the grid. You you know, come on, hang on here, Mr. Politician. We are the only Main Street around that the Maine is spelled M-A-I-N-E because it doesn't mean our primary street. It's not named for that. Broadway no. is our primary street. So let's talk about some little-known facts about this area. Quincy Street Grid is quite unusual. Mr. Mike Knox, who is the insurance, off, uh, insurance services office inspector, now what he, do, what he does is he goes around throughout the entire state. He doesn't go into the Chicago or sub- suburbs, but he goes downstate Illinois, and he's long retired, but what he does is he goes around and rates fire departments all over the state. So, in other words, he's in every small-town municipality that has a fire department in an entire downstate. And when he was here one year, he and I went to lunch, and we were talking about the layout of Quincy's original grid. And he says... Jack, and and my mother said this too, my mother when I was a kid told me, you should never get lost in Quincy. And I said, how is that, Mom? And she says, all you got to do is put the river on your left, and you know that you're facing north, and you should be able to to find yourself anywhere around the city just based on knowing where the river is. Well, Mike Knox kind of confirmed that to me. He said, your city unlike any other that I'm aware of, and he covers the entire state, he said, your city planners that did this to to begin with, he said, did an absolutely wonderful job of laying out your city. And I said to him, really, explain that to me. He said, well, everything starts at the river. It's really simple. So you go first, second, 24th. If you go to 48th, you're 48 blocks from the river. He says, it's simple. And he said, as far as the layout north and south, he said the center of your city is states. Hence, you've got Maine, Vermont, Hampshire, Delaware, et cetera, in the city. If you go north, okay, it's trees. So you've got oak, sycamore, um, you know, whatever you want to use as an example. And if I go south, it's presidents. It's Washington, Jefferson, Jackson. And he said, so if anybody goes to Quincy... And they say, you need to go to 24th and Jackson. I know that I need to go 24 blocks to the east and turn right, turn south, until I hit Jackson. He says, it's simple, it's brilliant, and he said, it's unlike any other city that I'm aware of in Illinois. We're the greatest. (laughs) One of the things I always point out, Mary, when I'm talking to a school group is Main Street. It's spelled with an E because it's the state of Maine, and the reason for that is our founders 
were New Englanders and they were Congregationalists and they were admirers of John Quincy Adams, as we know from naming our county and our city. And so uh, that's a great place for our city of refuge ethics to start because John Quincy Adams was such a great abolitionist and, and had a, after leaving the White House, goes back and fights in Congress all those years. But anyway, it all starts out with those New England Congregationalists and the best evidence is what Jack just pointed out. Now, as talking as a former municipal official, we love the grid. We hate the cul-de-sac. And why, why were we allowed? I mean, why There's places right it? now that should be connected in this city, but the residents fought it because everybody wants to live at the end of the cul-de-sac. I get that. Right. I do, too. But, but you look at the earlier 19, late 1950s, yeah. early They knew 90s. how to lay it out because if you're plowing snow, if you're, you know, making deliveries, uh, picking up garbage, whatever. It's cheaper and easier and more That's the way to go. And, and whoever designed that originally, and I don't know who did, but they were brilliant in the process. Well, the other thing they did, too, Jack, was level. You know, Hannibal is what Quincy looked like, all hills. The only original topography is Woodland Cemetery. But that gives you an idea of what Quincy was like. But, you know, these Germans, uh, they wanted it flat and straight. So my great-great-grandfather, Jacob Schultz, had this little grocery store. Well, had a lager saloon in the back, but it was the 12th and Broadway where First Bankers Trust is. And until they built that magnificent new building, they, that was his building, and it was just expanded and bought around whatever. So Don Ganuzzi was president back in the day of First Bankers Trust. He knew that was my ancestor's store. He, he invited me over there, took me down in the basement, and there were these big stone troughs for watering your horses. And I said, Don, how, what were these doing in the basement? He said, that was street level. That's how many times Broadway has been repaved. It's like 10 feet. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of places like that in Quincy that were streams. And, you know, you had these. Uh, there were, the Harold Wig in the history column had an interesting. Uh, the low spot was on Jersey behind junior high school, sort of between 12th and 14th, that everything north, south, east, and west all went up from that point. I think originally there was a spring there. Yeah. So they, yeah. they kind of tried to make everything level there. They just started there and kind of scraped it away and kept scraping. And you're right, our main street, of course you have to go up quite a hill to get here. But once you get on this topography... And I think that's brilliant what you said about if you really want to know what Quincy did look like back in the early 1800s, go to Woodland Cemetery. Go to the far south side, Indian Mounds, and you're going to see right. the traditional up and down. Go up to our Riverview Parks that are high up on the bluff, and they're just up and down. But the Germans leveled this all <laughs> up so we can save gas and efficiently go about our way. And you're right. If you know your president's in order... And I think we made a big mistake, I really do, when we stopped. I think we could should have kept going. We should have Trump Street, Obama, Obama Street, Trump Street, you know. We should well, have, we, we only have one Adams, and there were two. Right, but we are But, but we're in Quincy. order of John Quincy, right, right, yeah, next to Jackson. It should be Washington Adams. I mean, well, not in our place. It's Washington <laughs> Jefferson Adams because we take John Quincy Adams. But wouldn't it have been brilliant? If we could have kept that kind of thing up, and then we're, there's almost an endless applause.
Well, but in the early night, in the early 1960s, everybody wanted to live on a cul-de-sac, and you know they wanted the privacy the back there. They didn't want the through streets. And that so, was really funny because everybody wants to live in King's Point or right. Kingsmere. And with the GIS, you're supposed to have a number to, and, and so yeah, they don't like that. that and everybody wants to live in a community that makes them so exclusive. And I laugh because. My street address is a very drab, normal number. But, of course, everybody on my street that has a drab, normal number, we've, we've decided to up the game by putting a big sign at the entrance to our subdivision. Something to state. So yeah, people will exactly. think that we're important, special people when you go in, and not just people that live on a number street in Quincy. So, yeah. you know, it's got to be worth at least $50,000 in house value. You know, I don't want to... You obviously bought into the de- developer's propaganda yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, my husband bought into it big time. Because, what is so excellent funny? marketing my going on there. The, hus- the house my husband grew up in is still there. And when he was a child, the address was Row Route 5. Right. Well, the house hasn't moved, but it's in Quincy now, and it's not real rough. Mm-hmm. It's so it's so funny because we do. There is this. Sometimes we go minimalist, and sometimes we go maximum. And when my subdivision that I live in now, because I married into that, I wasn't part of that. That was during maximizing. Everything had to be high point, crystal lake, <laughs> meadow forest. You know, you had to have a name for your subdivision. Instead of just saying, I live at the corner of 18th and Main, where everybody can find, now we got to run all over and go, well, where is that? Exactly. Well, in a lot of these subdivisions that got created, they didn't have good streets. They didn't have curbs and gutters and sidewalks, and they got a next in. So now the city of Quincy's got some oil and chip road that they've either <laughs> got to upgrade or maintain. Uh, so, yeah, that... Uh, Having the control that we have now, we meaning the city, for a mile and a half is helpful. Yeah, and there's uh, lots new that have come in, and you're right. The streets aren't quite as wide, and the fire department, I'm sure, has a little bit of a struggle. But, you know, it is interesting. So uh, that makes us very unique, uh, very unique. Now, many uh, towns, I think Keokuk, well, Fort Madison has, has Avenue A, B, C, D, E, F, you know. Now, some towns start like A for Apple, B for Bush, you know. They have things that start with a B, or, so you can kind of go A, B, C, D, E, F, G. But really, we are kind of unique because Hannibal, what a mess. Uh, I see, mean. See, see, the way that they set that up on the, on the grid off the river was really brilliant. You're not going to find many that are right no. up against the river north no. to south like that. No. Yeah, and I'm sure John Wood, you know, where else on this side of the river, because that was the end of civilization, you know, yeah. uh, where does the bluff come right up to the river? Well, At Quincy it does, but you could probably go 100 miles north or south. You know, one of the things I, I love in looking at this 19th century um, advertising for Quincy is all the time it says, the you know the best stove made in the West, you know like <laughs> we like, were way out west, we're way out west. <laughs> like yeah. like we are the end of the world. The here, Quincy you know? House, the you, best you, hotel you, in the West. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. and and there's lots of advertising if you look at that 19th century uh, that 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 says that. It's like, like, you know, once you leave Quincy, you know, you're going into, into the abyss. <laughs> the, the, the cowboys and Indians are all you see. Well, another interesting factor about the way the Mississippi River shapes our state, because we have that big belly button, that big jet out to the west, Quincy, Illinois, is west of St. Louis, Missouri. Exactly. 
It is west of, um, you know, Keokuk, Iowa. And the if you drive, it is equidistant on the interstate system to drive from St. Louis to Chicago as it is from Quincy to Chicago. So it's it, very fascinating. Our geography really shapes us, and, and that is... That is so interesting. Yeah. I've baffled a lot of people over the years by telling them the best way to get to St. Louis is to drive through Missouri. Well, yeah. there, there, yeah. are, there aren't many people that are, live elsewhere in Illinois that realize how far west we are. Yeah. You know, and that, right. but that in fact, when we go to St. Louis, that we're actually not only driving south, but also quite a bit east. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a triangle, Springfield, St. Louis, Quincy. Right. Is about equidistant, I think. It is equidistant, Springfield to Quincy, or Springfield to St. Louis. Absolutely. Right. So. If you're, you know, it, it's just an interesting thing. The reason guess- I'm so interested in that is because when I was on the transplant list, yes. I could go to a meeting in Springfield and still be within two hours of Barnes Hospital. Right. You know, I, I was tethered there waiting for that call. Well, and that was one of the things that they told me on uh, the kidney, uh, on the kidney list, is that I could travel anywhere within a day. Oh, really? Yes, and still be there in plenty of time. Now, what I tried to do was just like if I was going to go on a family vacation, we went to Branson just because yeah. it was a little bit more. Sure. But, you know, that's you and I look at that from the same kind of angle as to where where we were. We needed to be limited um, if you were on the transit yeah. list because you just have no idea when you're going to get that call. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the first time I got the call and I was all fired up and I'm, you know, you have to be admitted to the hospital first and foremost. So you got to go to the registration. Yeah, you were saying last month how hot long yeah, Come on, let's go, let's go. Uh, and, and then they said, well, well, sir, they haven't harvested the organ yet. Uh, and <laughs> we, Jack got a cadaver. Kidney, right? right? right. Uh, so they, there are some ways they can control it, but they, you but, know they don't want you too far away. Yeah. But I know Chuck, when the first time when you had that blood pressure, how disappointed you were. And the second time that I got a call, I got all the way down there, and uh, got went through all the admission process, got up to the room, and had this um, doctor, and I assume it was probably a senior resident of some sort come up and pull his mask down, and he said, I'm sorry, Mr. Freiberg, we can't use the kidney, um, which was a huge disappointment yeah, for me. I had that Absolutely. once, too. They have to yeah. take a biopsy and make sure it's a good right, organ. Yeah. Right, Well, it is 9.33. We've got to take a break. Chuck Schultz well, let's and check Jack the farm Freiberg. markets, Mary. Yeah, open up the phone lines, uh, 223-9300, 1-800-228-WTAD. These men have seen a lot of Quincy history. I'm sure they'd like to talk about it. One question I'll throw out to you, Chuck Schultz, we come back after the break. My good colleague, Bruce Terstakey, he knows the flood was kind of the big part of your mayoral uh, life. What was the second uh, biggest triumph or trial? That's what he wants to know. We'll talk about that when we come back. We are back. Talk Radio <laughs> no, 930 WTAD. Oh, my gosh. It's like herding cats when these two men are here. So, Chuck Schultz, we started out uh, going into the break. Uh, everybody knows about the flood. We've talked about that. I want to talk about something that maybe is a little bit more obscure, but that you remember from your time as mayor of Quincy that either has long-lasting impact or was a thorn in your side or maybe one of your triumphs that we don't really remember. Or What's the deal? Well, I think in terms of long-lasting impact, by far the most important significant thing I did was to create the planning department. Uh, that was an issue. I was running against Bill Hoppin, great guy. 
after we ran against each other, I appointed him city treasurer when Ken Talkin retired. He was a great guy. But he didn't think we needed a planning department, leave it up to the aldermen and these zoning disputes and so forth. But if you turn around and look out the window here and see significant revitalization in the central business district, you can trace just about all that to Chuck Bebelheimer. And there's a lot of things that you do. You know, if you, when you go out on the Klinger Trail, that was actually Bevelheimer finding the initial grant coming to me and saying, let's go to the park district because the city, you know, this would be a park district project, but we'll fund the initial study and get it off the ground. The park district's done great with it ever since. But I, uh, you know, I walk over the courthouse and I look at the streetscape on Vermont Street there in front of the Croc Center, whatever, and I know we wouldn't have that without Chuck Bevelheimer. It takes a lot of grief constantly. Uh, even from aldermen who should know better. Well, uh, it is so true. I mean, almost everybody has had some kind of dispute with Chuck Bevelheimer, and it's so funny because I personally like Chuck very much. And uh, when I was dating my now husband, I, re you know, he said, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I like that guy. And I said, well, trust me, if you've had a dispute with him about a city issue, which he did, you know, I said, Chuck's not going to hold that. Chuck doesn't even remember that. No. That's his job. You know, yeah, he's got you can go out and have a beer with the guy, with Jackie and and, uh, and uh, Chuck Bevelheimer, and, and Chuck's not going to say, oh, I remember you. You're the whatever that, you know, called me out about some th But the thing of it is, in the olden days, it's not so much now, but when Chuck first came, the first intersection he engineered was 36th and Broadway. When Burger King came in, when the old Walmart was there, we had turn lanes and all this yes. stuff. You know, the planner said, uh, you can't just put down concrete from the front of your store all the way out to the right. end of the... You've got to have some berms and some trees, <laughs> and you have to have a turn lane. And when you think about it, what would Broadway, as messy as it is now... What would it be like if there were no left turn or right oh turn lanes? And in Bevelheimer, that's when he got here in the 90s when we went with, we were at 48th and then we jumped to 63rd yeah. once we were able to get the prairie crossing. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's been invaluable. And, you know, uh, early on we called it the Tesca plan. We had a plan for revitalization. Right. So one by one, as you redo a street, you would do the brick pavers, the historic lighting, that sort of thing. And I can, re you know, we this is years after Tesco, and we're doing it again around QMG or somewhere. And, and the aldermen are like, why are you putting in these brick pavers? Cement would be cheaper and easier to maintain. Well, because we did this study and we had 180 stakeholders and we decided this is where we're going to go. It's but anyway, I called. Right out here in front of our radio station. So I, oh, after the meeting, I said to Chuck Bellheimer, hey, I hope you can hang in there and not, not be that discouraged. <laughs> you got to be completely frustrated. Here's what you employ. Everybody can't agree with what he says. And see, I've, I've had my conflicts with Chuck, but overall, <laughs> overall, we get along great. But I think the real reason why Chuck was hired was to take a little heat off of our illustrious mayor at the time. <laughs> well, and also, hey, he's done that for all the subsequent mayors, Jack, too. As he's mayor... Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Bevel Weber's been there fighting the fight. You know, it's as mayor, you never want to say no. no. And as in, in life, I have a problem saying no. So politicians uh, always want to say, you know, I would do it. But that evil Chuck Bevelheimer, well, the planning director. And I would tell the alderman, why do you want to get involved in this Sony dispute? Yeah, yeah Charles, we'll send you up for the fall guy. No, no, <laughs> Bevelheimer. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. people, when, when it's a zoning matter that involves their house, oh. 
it becomes emotional rather I than rational. I just got involved and if, we had people in my yeah, neighborhood crying had, uh, and stuff. I'm like, come on, people. On you know? what, 18th and Cook's Lane, yeah, right? Which yeah. That Fanschmidt property yeah. was horrible. So Drew Neiman goes in and fixes it. I mean, that was a monumental job to clean that out. And it, it's a nice area. Mary lives there. I think some nice upscale, but, you know, it was going to be multifamily. And when people hear that, they freak out. Uh, we've because been through I that lived many in times. multifamily when I was in college, and I know what can happen. But, but that wasn't what was going to go there. But, it, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, you know, the bottom line is you're right. I mean, everybody to a certain degree... You want to be king of your castle. You want to be lord of your land. And there's a perfect example because I've been involved in two zoning fights in the recent years. Well, Both well, of them. Oh, I don't know if I want to go into okay. Well, one of them was at, near, on Broadway at about 20th or 21st. Anyway, people buy something. Drew Neiman did it. Good gentleman, Mr. Mr. Uh, zoning, Mr. Mike Hobrick did it. They bought it. Yeah. And they thought, well, it won't be hard to get a zoning change. Yeah. It is hard as heck yeah. to get well, zoning Well, particularly change. with Broadway in that little stretch there from but 24 on, to 20. Have you seen all the signs oh, for sale? Yeah. There's like three homes in a row now that are for sale. So, now, nobody will be able to convince me that the highest and best use of that property is for those who remain residential homes. It's clearly not. What what we need to do, and, and it's sort of already in place de facto, is, you know, we got Spring Street to the north, that whole bungalow row between 22nd and 20th, beautiful. So you want to protect that. So you're going to have to just stop at the alley, same way on Vermont. You're going to have to stop at the alley because you got nice houses, back. that's yeah. their backyard. And then you got to do some kind of buffer. berm, buffer, fence. You know, um, I've been through a lot of these zoning disputes over the years, and it's funny how six months later someone will come up to you and say, uh, you know, that's, that, that turned out pretty nice. I kind of like that, yeah. you know. Well, uh, you never know. That's the problem. I mean, I grew up on Chestnut Street, and it, trying to tell people how to get to my house because my address was 34th and Chestnut. And people say, well, I got to 30th oh, and yeah. Chestnut ended. And I went on 36th, and there was no Chestnut. I said that's because at the old time, Cedar Crest Golf Course stopped at uh, ADM Ellington School. You know, you came up there, and you, you I played that course many times. And my parents always said when they built that house, my dad always said, this will be a busy street someday, so we have to prepare for that, but it's never gone through. Now, there's a perfect example of where, if we really wanted to move traffic, that should have been... That, that was an option that wasn't exercised. That was an option yeah. that was never exercised, and now I don't know if you could st- you know, do it. Well, but, but, you know, I, I laugh because we tend to do cul-de-sacs, and the other thing we tend to do is, like Main Street... Instead of going straight after 48th, it starts to jog around and do all this weirdo stuff. And it's like, why? Because somebody had something there that was more expensive to buy out than it was just to move around. And uh, I met a friend of mine years ago in Hannibal when they built the Industrial Drive. And he was out surveying and doing stakes and everything. He's an engineer. And people were coming up to him. No, it can't go here. No, it can't go there. No, it can't go there. And he was laughing. He was telling me, if we build Industrial Drive the way these people that live in Hannibal want it built, it will be the (laughs) snakiest, curviest. You know, there will not be one straight piece. At some point in time, you have to say we're going from point A, Highway 61, to point B, 
downtown Hannibal. Well, we have got to get there in a quasi straight line, or this is never going see, to work. See, I've always said the best lots for development in the entire city, and I'm talking about residential development, are Woodland Cemetery. Because the view, the view that you have of and, the and river. And we have those North Parks. The same is, way. Is if the Park District ever gets in trouble, all they have to do is sell Riverview Park to a developer and they'll put five multi million dollar mansions up there and the Park District will have an endowment that will last the rest of their Wonderful. life. Wonderful. So. <laughs> and Rome Parks is going, don't say that. That's never going to happen. Don't give people ideas like that. So, Marion, talking about not extending east. Bob Johnson is the guy that owns uh, 36 and Broadway where uh, Hy-Vee and Hobby Lobby are. He originally put the Walmart there. Yeah. He's a guy that grew up in Palmyra, right. knows Quincy his, really his well. His dad was a very well-known insurance right. agent over there. And, and I think he lives in Kansas City now. But in any event, I pulled him aside one time and I said, because we had a little retreat where we came up with priorities for capital projects, 18th Street Bridge. And two of them were extending Maine past 48th and extending Oak past 48th. And I said, you know, we're trying to widen it out. You can't do it because you got Vermont and Spring Street on the west side. But out there, you know, it's wide open. Maybe we could do that. Would we get any retail? And he said, look, I know Quincy. You're going to just keep going east. You're going to stay right on Broadway for retail. It's all driven by traffic counts. And that's just the way it is. People come across the bridge are just going to keep going on Broadway. And I said, what about expanded Maine? He said, well, you'll get maybe uh, investment office, a dentist, some other medical type of things or whatever. So anyway, and it's taken about 20 years for Blessing to do it. But we do have that magnificent building out there at 48th and Maine. Uh, on and the, at State, there's a dental office at 48th and yeah, State. Well, there is, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. yeah. So he knew what he was talking about. And then, of course, north side of that um, my gosh, you've got the Holiday Inn out there now yeah. and Walmart. And which is on Oak Street, which is hard for me to fathom because, to me, it doesn't line you up. You see that address of yeah, 48th address. and Oak. We've yeah. got to take another break. 947, we're late for our break. <laughs> we are back at Talk Radio 930 WTAD. I'm Mary Griffith, uh, Chuck Bevelheimer. <laughs> no, not <laughs> Chuck. We've been talking about Chuck Bevelheimer, but uh, Jack Freiberg is here. Chuck Schultz is here. Chuck and this is the, you missed this country. on your important dates in history. I know January twentieth. I know seventy a, years ago today, Jack Freiberg made his appearance in the world. Happy yeah. birthday! I'm, thank you very much. I'm launching a new decade today. And, and I just reminded Jack, you know, in the we spent the seventies in our twenties. He's going to spend the twenties in his seventies. <laughs> I'll be joining you later this year. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, along with the, all your classmates. The whole classmate will turn 70 this year. Yeah, the, the, you were in your 20s and the 70s. Now you're in the 70s and their 20s. When you were in your 20s, Jack, did you even think you wanted to be 70? I mean, you probably thought, what's the heck? I mean, I remember I thought, you know, I remember my dad turned 50, and I thought, God, I hope I don't live to be that old. Who wants to, you know? Who wants to be that decrepit, you know? So The, the reality of it all is, is after have, uh, Chuck and I both had transplants, <laughs> we're just thankful to be here. In any Boy. You appreciate life in every manner. Anything else needs to be replaced, we're ready to go. What was it like? You two are classmates from the olden days. What was Quincy like? 70 years ago, 60 years ago, when you guys were, well, were elementary school boys. Well, one of the things I remember quite distinctly that I, that I think is, you know, such, so, so far from us now, 
is the Park District was actually the Park and Boulevard Association back in those days. Remember when there was a boulevard on 24th and Broadway? That's exactly what I was going to say. And no was, one would believe that now. <laughs> no, there was a boulevard at 24th and Broadway, and it, you know, obviously that was something that was pretty neat looking and everything, very well maintained. Yeah, but the idea of having that at 24th and Broadway now is just crazy. But we, of course, we still have Aldo Boulevard. I lived there for right. 25 years. But thank God we right. had that boulevard, and we wouldn't have all the space we need to get six lanes of traffic across Broadway. So. That's, well, that's changed a lot, too. I remember yeah. when you could park on Broadway. Goodness. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I remember parallel parking yeah. and, and shoot-in parking on Broadway. I remember that, too. So much has changed, and yet the, our our city remains the same and that the people are great. But when you guys were growing up, like, what was a typical day in the life of 10-year-old Jack Freiburg, 10-year-old Chuck Schultz? What did you guys do for fun? Well, as you um, can talk about it was a, it was a... <laughs> It was a lot different then, and that, and that we spent the lion's share of our side, time outside. Outside, my mom had a bell, a handbell, clanging bell. Mm-hmm. And when my dad was headed home from the office, she'd go on the back porch and start ringing that bell. And we, you know, there's seven kids; it could be all over. But we always heard that bell. I have that bell now. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, and, and see, we in those days, Jack, if you had to go to the uh, orthodontist, you got on your bike and went right, to the appointment, right? Right. right. Well, but that, uh, as you said, you had a pretty big operation, of, a pretty big radius of operation because of your bicycle. Yeah. And you know, it was no big deal. You know, you'd tell your mom where you, where you were going for the night. You weren't and, supposed to ride it across Memorial Bridge to get fireworks. So. <laughs> no, but but anyway, you you would tell mom your mom where you were going, and inevitably. A, a lot of times you'd be over at that kid's house and he'd be several blocks away. Well, you'd get an invite to come on over and eat dinner with them, and then you'd give get a phone call to your mom, and she would give you the standard response of, that's fine, just be home when the streetlights come on. When the streetlights come on. The other thing you're talking about is mothers didn't work outside the home traditionally. You were probably both raised by at-stay-at-home mothers, as I was until I was 12. Best teacher I ever had, my mom. That's an interesting, different aspect, because, Chuck, your children, most of the women, well, you don't have girls, but in your your sisters. I have five sisters, wonderful wife, and two awesome daughters-in-law, all strong women. But they have, at different times in their life, had full-time careers. So that's different, because they have to juggle the family. Was, right, was I'm very Becky fortunate. Always, was Becky always your stay-at-home go-to? You could do yeah, your law practice. As soon as Charles, our first child, was yeah. born, yeah. yeah. And you know, you're giving up maybe a vacation or a second car or something, but you never regret that. Oh my gosh, you know, my boys turned out pretty good if I do say so myself. Well, what about uh, you, Jack? What's uh, situation? Well, I, I grew up with three sisters. Yeah, um, I know. And my mom, and you know, it was a it was a situation there that. You know, there was only really there was a there was a bathroom off of my parents' master, but we all shared one bathroom. So, you know, the idea was Jack get the hell out of there, <laughs> so your sisters can in, in can in there and spend three times each spend three times the amount of time that you can, because getting in the morning and getting on the school bus which Mr. Reese drove for St. Mary's, you know, was a was an operation was quite an operation. So we had seven Schultzes trying to get ready for school. How many bathrooms? Uh, um, well, that we would use really pretty much just one. <laughs> you know, mom and dad had theirs. There were others on other floors. Uh, but I, my sisters would wear these nightgowns, and they would sit on the floor register. 
because it was cold in January at the Schultz house, and the air coming up would inflate their nightgowns. I did that, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know yeah. the feeling, like five of them spread around the living room, dining room, one's in the kitchen, they're all sitting on the register. The house is uh, like being heated. Yeah. I don't know, it was just me. But my dad would be like, get off the register, the bathroom's going to be cold because you've got all the hot you know, air up your nightgown. I made a great friend in college at Georgetown one day. I was going down this long set of steps, believe it or not, from the library. I actually knew where that was. And a guy comes up beside me, and he's going down the steps. And we get to the bottom, he says, hey, are you from a big family? And I said, well, yeah, I'm pretty big, seven kids. He said, that's what I thought. You're really quick on those stairs. And I said, well, you know, I never thought about it, but my brother and I, our room is on the third floor. So, you know, I'm pretty good upstairs. Uh, and he said, well, I'm, I, this guy was from Kansas City, and he was from a big family, and he said, yeah, you know, I go up three flights of stairs, and I just, when I saw you gliding down those steps, I thought, there's a good Catholic boy from a, from a big family and a big house. And he and I are still friends today. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I think we've got a phone caller here. Oh, I don't know if you have headphones. Well, I'll just see if I can hear what they want to say. Uh, good morning. You're on the air. Hi, Mary. How are you? Great show, by the way. Thank you. What's your question real quick? Because I don't think they, they – well, Chuck can hear you. Okay. Well, and that's, that's basically who it's for. It's to see if he has any hindsight or feelings about the uh, – Oh, um, just looking to see if you had any feelings on the the casino, the opportunity that Quincy had ah, okay. in the casino. The casino. And, okay, and thanks a lot. We don't have time to talk about that today. You were against the casino. We'll talk about Still that. Am. Yeah, we'll talk about that uh, because you've got less than a minute. But Chuck Schultz. When he was mayor, opposed the casino. Of course, LaGrange the, got a casino. There really was never an opportunity for Quincy anyway. But just the idea of it, it's not good economic development. It's been proven every dollar the local government takes in, $2 in disposable income leaves your community. Okay. You know? well, we'll have anyway, to, I feel... We'll have to leave it at that. It's not Thank economic development. Thank you guys development. so very much. It's always such a pleasure. I even planned my whole vacation so that I wouldn't miss today on Friday. So I just want you to know. And don't forget, real quick, John Bania, master architect, uh, built, uh, you know, designed St. Boniface Church, designed Quincy Regional Airport, Baldwin Field. He's going to be talked about. Anthony Tony Crane is going to give a talk at 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon at the History Museum on the Square at 4th and Main. They're expecting a huge crowd. So get there before 2 o'clock. Let me say one thing about that, too. Uh, If we turn people away, and I I really expect what we're going to, we will have a few. I've talked to Tony already, and we will be doing more programs of this so that everybody gets to see it. Okay, that sounds like a fantastic idea. Again, thank you very much to my guests. I will be here Monday, and then I'm going on a vacation to a sunny climate, which if you're a redheaded girl that burns easily, I don't know if I'm – Looking that much forward to it, to tell you the truth. But my husband wants to go, so these are the sacrifices. Going to Cancun is a sacrifice I'm making for my husband when I'm sitting there in the all-you-can-drink resort and all-you-can-eat resort, and he's out frolicking in the surf. I'll be inside safe.